Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. Several times a week, I look through my fridge and dump uneaten leftovers and spoiled fruit and vegetables into the compost. I always pledge to do better, eating the foods before they spoil rather than letting them go to waste. I'm sure many of you do the same. Something I don't often think about? Grocery stores routinely discard produce that has imperfections that keep them off store shelves. An enormous waste that I don't think much about because it's not in my face like the rotting food in my fridge. TJ Galliardi is the co-founder of a company in Dartmouth that's turned that problem into a successful business called Outcast Foods. The company takes discarded produce from area farms and grocery stores and turns it into dry whole food powder used in protein supplement products and sold as ingredients for use in other food and cosmetic products. There are so many compelling aspects to TJ's life and business venture. He's a former NHL player with several teams, including the Calgary Flames and Colorado Avalanche, which is how he met his business partner, Darren Burke. He and Burke have landed a large supplier in Sobeys, which is also a major retail partner along with Sportcheck. They have also landed a high-profile investor in Arlene Dickinson from Dragon's Den. Through her firm, District Ventures Capital, she invested $5 million. BDC Capital did the same, bringing the total to $10 million. With this investment, they're expanding their operations in Dartmouth and plan to build a plant in Ontario. For all of these reasons, I wanted to chat with TJ. I thought I was catching up with him in Dartmouth. Turns out he was much further south. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hi, TJ. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Excellent. How about yourself? Excellent. It's great to chat with you. The sun's shining here in St. John, so I'm, I'm in, a, in a basement office and I can't see the sun right now, but the walk to work, the sun was out, so I'm happy. Uh, where do I find you? Uh, currently in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. You're in Arizona right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to get away from the winter a little. <laughs> Here I was thinking I was connecting with you uh, in, in your house in Dartmouth, and you're in Arizona. So are, are you living there right now? Uh, actually living in Calgary, but uh, we've been here since December. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so spending the winter there? Yeah, exactly. The youngest right. snowbird uh, in Arizona right now. <laughs> so do you, do you have a, a family there with you? My mom's from uh, my mom's from Phoenix. Uh, I have some extended family here, but my my wife and our two kids are here. They're there as well. So am I chatting with you from your house then, your home office? Yeah, my uh, spare bathroom actually. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. For for me, when I'm home, it's actually my uh, uh, a closet where I get the best sound. Uh, nice. Yeah, this is the quietest place in the house as far as the kids never come in here. Right. Yeah, I was actually going to record this from home, and then I, I realized that the, the kids were going to arrive home mid-conversation, mm. and weren't going to respect the fact that I was talking to you. So <laughs> I decided I should scoot down uh, from home to the office. Nice. Yeah. So tell me, uh, how many kids do you have? Uh, two. So I got a, my daughter Sage is uh, two and a half, and uh, our son Sai is uh, six months. Right. So, oh, a great age. Mine are, are 10 and 12 now. But uh, actually, we were just watching uh, home videos last night uh, of when them of them when they were around the age of your kids now. It's it's a good time. Yeah, it is. It's amazing and uh, such a blessing. I, I understand now why you need to lock yourself uh, in, in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, so tell, tell me a little bit about um, your your uh, your life before we jump into talking about Outcast. So you were you were born in uh, in Alberta. Yeah, yeah. Grew up, born and raised in Calgary. Uh, middle child with with two brothers. So 
busy household, um, played sports growing up and ended up turning into my career. I, I played professional hockey for 10 years and that's, uh, that brought me to about 29 years old. Right. And so tell me, uh, how, how did the hockey career evolve? I, my son wouldn't forgive me. Uh, he's a big Tampa fan, but loves mm. hockey. Uh, <laughs> he wouldn't forgive me if I didn't ask you uh, questions about your hockey career and how that kind of evolved. Yeah, so like I said, I, I grew up in Calgary. I played literally every level of hockey you could play in Calgary. So starting in, you know, Tyke all the way up to Midget and uh, junior hockey in Calgary as well. And then left to play uh, college hockey in the U.S. I played a year at Dartmouth College. And then uh, got drafted into the NHL, uh, came back to Calgary to play for the Calgary Hitmen in the Western Hockey League, and then uh, signed professional after that. Right. And then you played for many uh, NHL teams over the years, including your hometown uh, Calgary team. Yeah, yeah. So that, that kind of brought the whole first full circle back to Calgary when I, when I got to play for the Flames. And um, that's why I think I'm probably the only guy who's ever ever played every single level of hockey in Calgary, including the Flames. And so when did you meet your 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 business partner, uh, Darren Burke? Yeah, I met him my my first year in the NHL. I was playing for the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, he had a supplement brand that he had started back then and um, was selling the products to pretty much every professional team, including the Avs. And um, our team strength coach connected us, and that was the start of a, you know over a decade long friendship now. And so, how did that friendship evolve? What was the connection point between you guys? Uh, well, it, initially it was just getting supplements um, from his business, and then we realized we we enjoyed each other's company and started to uh, transition more into a mentorship uh, friendship. So. Darren's older than I am and uh, has definitely seen a lot of things and learned a lot of things along the way. And uh, I'm grateful that he passed a lot of those things on to me. And eventually it turned into a business partnership with, with Outcast Foods. Now, now, I understand that you're you're both vegans? We are, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think last time I checked, it's six years and Darren's at around four. How much did that kind of influence your kind of evolving you know, friendship and also, you know, a relationship around, you know, what what makes for a healthy supplement, healthy eating, a healthy lifestyle? Uh, you know, it was something that we talked about um, a lot. I don't think I would like him any less if he if he still ate meat. But um, it, it definitely, I think it was a bit of a spearhead into, into our business because we, we had always talked about things that we saw in the world and the market that, that kind of needed more needed some more solutions and and one thing was was certainly food waste that that we we always talked about and you know I think it's something that we saw a lot of in the news whether it was newspapers magazines where people talked about the problem but no one talked about a solution because there really wasn't one so for us um, it, it the business of outcast food really really started on the back of the napkin and has evolved over the last you know three four years into what it is today when you you say you know developing that idea kind of on the concept of on the back of a napkin can you what was that was it a slowly evolving conversation between the two of you or where was that that kind of entrepreneurial kind of aha moment with the two of you or how did how did that happen i th- i think it was 
I mean, slow in terms of, of how we work. We, we, we like to move really fast, but slow in terms of us just kind of spitballing with different ideas. And then the one that really stuck was, you know, you, you, you have all this produce, all these fruits and vegetables that are going to waste, mainly for cosmetic issues or, you know, best if used by date, supply chain errors, things like that, where you're, you have a product that is degrading very fast and that's why it's going to waste. So take a banana, for example, um, it's, it's life from when it's yellow to when it's brown, you know, you might have a week. Um, and once it hits that certain point of no return, it, it ends up in the landfill. So why can't we find a way to extend the shelf life? And the easiest solution for that is dehydration. Um, and that gives it a two to three year shelf life. And then from there, we kind of were able to, to work backwards and, and pick up all the pieces. And so when did the, the did you actually form the, the company and kind of get to work on things? And, and how did that evolve? Yeah, I think early 2017 is when we started talking about it. And by uh, November of 2017, we had actually uh, incorporated the business and brought in our first uh, round of investors. And in terms of uh, developing and, and uh, eventually starting to market the products, uh, how did that unfold? Yeah, so you know what? It took us a lot longer to come up with our own unique dehydration process than we thought it would. Um, you know, you think about dehydration, it's been around for eons, um, and the technologies around it have been evolving and advancing. You know, even to this day, there's, there's new things coming out. And for us, it was. Um, we did that through partnerships. We partnered with the National Research Council and with uh, a couple of food, food science tech uh, institutes in Canada. And we were able to do that and, and come up with our own patent pending technology. And um, Darren's a scientist, I'm an ex-athlete. So he, he ran more of that side of the business and uh, we were able to actually start selling our ingredients um, over a year ago. And in terms of the kind of, of uh, products that you're producing now, what differentiates them from other uh, other products that other companies might be using? So really, we're the first ever company to have upcycled sustainable ingredients um, made from fruits and vegetables. So uh, this this idea of taking surplus, um, dehydrating it, and, and selling it as ingredients or products had really never been done before us, which is shocking because it's such a simplistic idea. And I think a lot of times those are the ones uh, that, that really resonate with people. So the difference is we were the first to ever do it and we we're really the only ones who have ever done it. So we have this first to market approach. Um, our technology is very energy efficient. So we're dehydra dehydrating the fruits and vegetables at a low temperature, which maintains a high level of nutrients. So if you compare our products to you know the the place where most of the dehydrated fruits and vegetables come from which is china and india um our specs are you know in some cases four to five times higher um in vitamins and, and nutrients than theirs and in terms of how the, the company itself evolved it, it started with uh, the two of you how quickly did you start to onboard board employees and and how how big are you now yeah, I'll use one of Darren's analogies with with um, hiring team is it's a bit of an accordion. So sometimes you'll expand and sometimes you'll contract. And we've done that several times. You know, I think when you when you have a round of funding, which 
we've had uh, we've had three to date. Uh, this uh, we just closed our fourth, uh, the ten million dollar Series A, which I'm sure we'll chat about. But um, there's always that initial push to bring in more expertise and more staff. And then obviously with COVID, there was a contraction period, and now we're we're probably around 15, 16 employees now. And in terms of the the investments that have been made in in the company, you're on like round four now. Uh, what are the kinds of firms that have invested in you up to this point? And, and of course, we'll we'll talk about the latest one too. Yeah. So, I guess our first our first three rounds were all angel investors, um, friends and family, uh, high net worth individuals. A few of them, you know, they knew enough about the space that we thought they could add a little bit of value. But for the most part, it was just people that were really interested in the story. They wanted to be a part of the journey. And then our Series A, which was our fourth round that we just closed, um, was our first institutional round. So we brought in two major VC partners, um, District Ventures, which is based out of uh, out of Calgary and run by Arlene Dickinson, the the uh, popular Dragon's Den uh, judge, and then uh, BDC's Clean Tech Practice is is the other co-lead on our on our Series A. Tell me how the the relationship evolved and and how it happened with uh, with District Ventures and Arlene. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think we pitched to probably I don't even know 50 to 70 different VCs throughout the process of our Series A, and um, District actually came through. Uh, you know, one of their one of their associates messaged us and wanted to hear more about the story. They had, they had seen a press release or. Um, maybe a podcast or video from a, a news source and wanted to learn more. And I was in Calgary at the time where, where their office is and went in and met with them. And I don't know how many months later, we had, we had a term sheet from them and we were in due diligence. And then, yeah, we recently closed the round, I'd say, two, two, weeks, two weeks ago. And I know, um, I mean, as you know yourself from from Dragons, and uh, you know, we we've done a lot of stories ourselves on maritime firms that have gotten investments from uh, from Dragons. Then, uh, and you're one of the examples that you got a dragon without having going on the show. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think a lot of people think because Arlene's firm invested in us that we were on Dragons. Then. Um but uh, they, I don't think they signed many five million dollar checks at a at a Dragons. Then. So what for that for that firm? Because I know that that uh, the focus is on on food food companies. What was what interested them about you? Well, you know, we have two sides of our business. So we have the the B two B business to business ingredient side that I was just talking about, and then we also have our our supplement brand, which utilizes some of our upcycled ingredients in it. So really, it's the first ever sustainably sourced supplement brands so protein powders and greens powders and uh different products so i i think they were i think they were interested in both sides of the business um obviously for us the the ingredient side and and our technology is is what differentiates us and is what's going to be leading us in the future um but it's also very capital intensive so that's why we raised 10 million dollars instead of what most early stage kind of food companies would be raising which would you know, be under five million for sure. So, um, I think they like the mix of of the sustainability angle as well as the brand angle. So, what's capital intensive uh, about the about the work? Well, anytime you're using uh, large pieces of equipment and, and technology, it's going to be expensive. So, um, 
that's mainly where the big piece of it comes. And then also staffing and, and R&D is, is such a big part of our business. Now, uh, when you sat down uh, with with the folks, with Arlene, uh, for the first time, did you feel like you were pitching Dragon's Den? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, we had pitched so much that by then it was, uh, it was basically just autopilot. I could have just had a uh, video recording of myself go in there and press play, which actually wouldn't have been a bad idea. <laughs> right. No, no, I don't expect you, you know, to give away any inside information, but uh, w- was she different than the person that we see on Dragon's Den in terms of pitching the case? Um, no, I don't think so, really. I mean, uh, she's pretty transparent and, you know, I, I don't watch as much TV as I should, so I've only seen a few episodes of Dragon's Den, but um, she, she was... Uh, Pretty much like uh, all the other investors that we pitched to, they had some thoughtful questions and um, were interested enough to move it to the next phase. Now, the decision to be uh, to be Dartmouth based, um, what's the what's the advantage of being in Dartmouth? Now, I know uh, Darren himself is from Nova Scotia, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Darren's from from uh, just outside of Halifax and Sackville, and um, you know, I didn't know this when we first started the business, but there. As a Canadian company, there's really no better place to start a business than, than Atlanta, Canada. Um, the government support you receive there is, is really second to none, and we've been a, a good example of that. Uh, I think ACOA, uh, Atlanta Canadian Opportunities Commission, has been a tremendous supporter of us. NSBI, you know, the list goes on and on of, of different arms of, of the government or branches of, of quasi-government groups that have been supportive of us. It's, is really we wouldn't be here today without them. So um, we'll always be Atlanta, Canada based and, and Halifax based. And so what do uh, your facilities look like in, in Dartmouth? Is it, a, is it a plant that you have? Yep. Yep. We have our, our first ever uh, zero waste sustainable Elkhouse Foods plant in, in Dartmouth. Uh, and it's been expanded three times already. We're, we're in the middle of a, of a fourth expansion right now. And it just speaks to the rise of, of sustainability, and we've really hit this wave at the right time. So how many people will be employed there now? Uh, well, like I said, right now we're at about 15, but by the summer, uh, I'd say Outcast Foods will be employing at least 40 to 50 people. And then how about your plans for Ontario? Yeah, so Ontario's, uh, you know, any business that's that's from Canada, I think the the question you receive a lot is, okay, when are you going to be in Ontario? Because that's that's basically ground zero for any Canadian company. And uh, for us, we have some plans this summer to to get into the southern Ontario market in a big way, and um, that's something we'll be we'll be announcing when we get a little later along. Now, with the the corporate partnerships that you've been able to strike so far, I know uh, on the retail side, but also just on the on the supply side, uh, tell me a little bit about the the partnership with Sobeys and how it came about. Yeah, um, you know that's such an important one for us, and and it took a really long time uh, for that to come together. I mean, you know, when any time you have a you know billion dollar business like like Sobeys and you have a tiny little ant like Outcast, it takes a while to, to get in there, but um, they've been tremendously supportive as well. Uh, they've really opened the door for us on that grocer side of our inbound inbound supply and, and shared things that they don't share with anyone as far as you know what they waste, uh, why it goes to waste, how we could integrate ourselves into it. And um, 
really work with them as a partner as opposed to just a, a contractor or supply um, agreement. So that, that one probably took two years really to come to fruition. And uh, there's plans to expand it further and us to take a bigger chunk of their food waste. So how it works now is you, you take their discarded fruit and vegetables to, to use as material for your products, your ingredients and, the, and your products? Yeah, so we have historical data and, and real-time data on what's being um, regarded as waste coming out of their distribution centers, particularly the, particularly the one in uh, DeBert, just outside of Halifax. So uh, let's say a truckload of bananas shows up and, and they're too yellow um, and they're not going to have enough time on the shelves in each one of their stores. That food is typically rejected. So um, before we came along, it would it would end up as waste, um, either in landfill or animal feed. So we're able to to now take advantage of that and be able to come in and intercept it, uh, dehydrate it into either pieces or powder, whatever our customer wants at the end, and uh, then it gets a good home and it's reducing food waste. And I, I assume as as your business grows and your capacity grows. You'd probably be. Would you be looking for other other uh, grocery chains to, to strike deals with for their food waste? Or I mean, I guess with Sobeys too, it's it's a national company through Empire. There's there's probably there's lots of opportunities to work with their other grocery stores uh, across the country. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of opportunities within within just that Empire network, but uh, we're open to everything. Uh, for us, we actually get the majority of our food waste directly from farms. So if you think about, a, let's say, a sweet potato farmer is a good example. They have certain specs that they have to fit into with the sweet potatoes that they sell. So if they're selling uh, to a food broker or a grocer, they have to be specific sizes. And really, the fact of the matter is, is that farming is uh, there's a bit of there's a bit of uh, art in it where you're trying to grow them and harvest them at a certain time. But uh, they're they're not always exact. So there's going to be sweet potatoes that are too small or too big. You know, you might get sweet potatoes that are the size of a football, and no food broker and no grocers buying those. So that stuff would get tilled back into the field and be wasted. So now that we partner with all these farms, they can call us and say, you know, we have a full crop that overgrew or undergrew. Can you guys take advantage of this? And uh, our network of farms is that. You know, we're at over two dozen now that we work with, and that number continues to grow really every month. Are, are all those farms based in the Atlantic region? Not all of them, but uh, the majority of them are. Right. And I suspect as you grow into Ontario, you, you probably start to sort of broaden that that group of farms that you would access so that you're probably doing more in Ontario. Yeah, exactly. We uh, A big part of our model is to be as close to the to the waste as possible. So you don't want to truck it all the way across the country. With your business in particular, it really sounds like you've kind of married like with this sort of sort of environmental friendliness and sustainability. You're kind of marrying your supply chain and the values of the company around that, and then and then also in the products that you produce that you know that people use as, as supplements. Uh, it it makes for a nice rounded kind of business when it comes to that approach. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really about telling that full cycle story too, right? So. You know, you think about Sobeys, for example, they're they're having fruits and vegetables come into their really into their possession that 
would normally be fresh on the shelves and, and go to their customers. And for some reasons, let's say, you know, let's say a, a truckload of uh, strawberries show up and the best if used by date is tomorrow instead of, you know, 10 days from now, they're not going to send it out to all their stores and have it go to waste on the shelves. We can take that right away, process it, and it'll end up in our in our blend that's in our protein powder, and it'll end up back on Sobe's shelves. So it just shows up in a different way than it was initially supposed to, but uh, it still gets gets the point across and ends up as food. And, and so your products are available in Sobe's. Was that your first big uh, your big corp, first big corporate partner? Um, I don't know if they were the first big one, but they're they're obviously a really important one for us and. Um, continued uh, expansion is in the works with them as well on that front. Right. So what kinds of products would be sold there? Um, our, so the products that would sell of ours there would be all of our supplements. So our, our protein powder, our plant-strong protein, which we have five flavors of now, and then our, um, you know, our multivitamin, our, our creatine product sells there, and then our greens powder as well. And you've now uh, brought on SportCheck. Yeah, yeah, we're in all the SportCheck stores across the country, which is which is pretty cool, and um, similar products as well. And you know, they're committed to trying to find a way to make a sustainable impact as well. And I think that's why a lot of these partnerships have grown for us. Is you know, you got companies that you wouldn't traditionally think would be worried about food waste and sustainability, but it's such an important thing for consumers now that that's why we're getting these calls. So how, how recent is that in, in your experience, uh, that well, we, attitude shift? Yeah, you know what? It's I mean, if you would have talked about sustainability and uh, food waste and upcycling even five years ago, it, it wouldn't have been a big topic, in, in my opinion. But nowadays, especially for consumers, it's everyone's looking for ways to reduce their impact on the environment. And the easiest way to do it is really through through food. So um, what we're seeing is a massive uptick in, in brands and and uh, consumers looking for more sustainable options. For you personally, um, tell me a little bit about your own interest in, in health and also uh, sustainability. Like what where does that interest come from? Is it something that you've been thinking about since you were young? Is it uh, something that's come to you more um, as you grew older? No, it's it's definitely not something I thought about when when I was young. I think when I was young, all I could think about was, you know, getting the optimum nutrition that I could get, and didn't really care where it came from. But as I got older, especially as I, I transitioned into a, a, a vegan, plant-based lifestyle, it started to become more of an all-encompassing thought for me: where does this food come from? What's its impact? And especially over the last, you know, three to five years, it's been how can I make a difference through my diet? And it's really been a big part of the um, ethos of, of Outcast Foods. What, what inspired that shift for you personally and to eat to more of a plant-based diet? Yeah, you know what? It actually came from my wife, the initial thing. So she had been vegan for uh, many years before I got into it. And um, she's she's not very pushy on that front. She just said, well, you know what? It's your it's your body. You decide what you eat. And eventually I just started eating more of the things that she was eating and started to feel better. I started to sleep better, recover faster, um, get stronger, just 
really all encompassing, I started to notice the differences. And eventually I got to the point where I took all animal products out of my, out of my diet and my life and haven't turned back since. For, for the last couple of years, I've been, um, I was vegetarian kind of a, a couple of points earlier in my life when I was early 20s. Uh, and then again, in my kind of late 30s and a couple of years ago, and for a lot of the same reasons as you, and a couple of years ago, I became vegetarian again, but I've also been uh, vegan at points over the last few years. And a lot of questions that I got personally were around, I'm also like a, a distance runner, just a recreational distance runner. Yeah. Um, but run, run, you know, uh, a marathon a year or something like that. Nice. And so I would get lots of questions myself about my own eating habits and and being able to you know run marathons. And uh, I don't know much of the science behind this, uh, but I would always tell them I I I feel stronger and healthier as a vegan. I can't tell you exactly why um, mm-hmm. because people would be concerned right because they're saying are you getting enough animal protein <laughs> to be able to you know there's this idea that it gives you strength right and 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 we have these notions even more so about say hockey players right you think of the the beef eating big hockey player um mm-hmm. but your example uh, an example of somebody who's gone to the plant-based diet did it surprise you that you had the same strength or even greater strength after you started eating a more plant-based diet? Um, no, because it was a, it was a gradual transition for me. It wasn't like one day I just went cold turkey and got rid of all, all animal products. So for me, it was, it was really slow and, um, it was probably, it took me probably the course of a year to really go from what I was normally doing all the way down to, to nothing. And, um, I, I always tell people, you know, you get to make your own choice. You do whatever you want, but it's always good to try, you know, start taking one thing out at a time and, and see how you feel. And uh, are, are you finding uh, that there are some shifts happening with, you know, athletes generally around changes in attitude around diet? Not necessarily being a vegan, but but that idea of taking more of it out of your diet and that there are, there are other ways in which you can find nutrition. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. It, it's really top of mind for any athlete nowadays, especially professional athletes. And you know, if you're a young athlete trying to come up and uh, make your way in, in the in the professional world and uh, make it to the NHL or NFL or whatever sport you're trying to do, if you're not thinking about nutrition, you're you're already putting yourself at a massive disadvantage. So. Um, you, you don't have to look very far to find pro athletes that are that are vegan and um, doing really well in in that vegan lo- lifestyle and diet and the way they're playing. So uh, it's it's definitely lost that weird cachet that maybe it had you know five ten years ago where people thought you couldn't perform as a as a vegan. Nowadays it's uh, it's so prevalent. There's probably I would say on every single NHL team there's probably five guys that are vegan now with uh right now you've got like uh, large retail partners like sport check and and uh and sobeys uh, you're you're a, a former you know pro hockey player um you know darren's worked as providing supplements are you guys marketing directly to sports teams as well or is it mostly um focusing on the big uh the retail chains um you know what we sell product to to different pro teams but the focus for us is on really that eco-friendly 
sustainably focused consumer, uh, someone that's really conscious about their impact on the environment. So um, that has a broad array of, of demographics. It's, it's really anyone who cares about the environment and cares about their health. So um, we're finding that it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it goes a lot, of, a lot of different ways, but um, that's what you'll see most of our marketing geared toward now and in the future. Now, uh, back to your own story briefly, because I'm really curious, um, you know, I was asking you about, you know, your, your evolving attitudes towards, you know, nutrition and the shift of your diet into being a vegan. Um, you know, you you make your living as a pro hockey player for a long time. For you, where does the interest in business and entrepreneurship come in? Like, where was that spark for you? I think a big part of it was was my co-founder, Darren, him and I. Uh, always talked about business. He he's kind of took a mentor role for me. Um, really taught me a lot about different things when it comes to to the business world. And I, I kind of always thought of myself as more than a than a hockey player. I, I figured I had more to offer to the world than trying to put a rubber puck into a net. And uh, you know, it's it's worked out really well for me that I was able to transition right into this business with Outcast post retirement and. Um, you know, fingers crossed, we, we continue to have success and can make a real impact on the environment. It, it wasn't very long after you retired that, that this idea came up, eh? Yeah, yeah. I, I basically retired because of it. So, um, you know, I feel like I could still play hockey today professionally for sure, but I'm really happy that I'm not doing it anymore and I'm, I'm a businessman now. And how much time do you spend in uh, Nova Scotia? Uh, well, I lived there for two years when we started the business. So uh, once COVID hit and initially our office was closed, um, that's when I moved back to Calgary. And, you know, our office has been up and running back again for several months, um, mainly because of the success of Atlanta, Canada on um, controlling COVID cases. And so how does growth look for uh, your company kind of going forward? Give me, like, where do you expect to be in a year and five years? Yeah, I think for us, it's just continued expansion across the country. Um, you know, it's the immediate concern is growing the capacity of our, our Dartmouth facility. After that, it'll be um, expanding into Southern Ontario. And then from there, whether it's Alberta, BC, Quebec, wherever it may be. Um, and then from there, even getting into the U.S. because we all know that they waste a lot more food than us um, based on their population. So um, I would say in a year uh, we would have two to three scale facilities up and running. Uh, five years, it might even be 10, 10 to 15 facilities from there. And really just taking as big of a chunk out of food waste as we can with our, our scalable solution. In terms of being able to produce to meet meet demand, um, how, how are you doing right now? Like, do you need to grow fast or are you growing at the right pace? Yeah, we're not even close to being able to produce what we what the demand is for, for what we have. So um, this year, I think it'll definitely help uh, expanding this facility and then getting into southern Ontario. But it's really a tip of the iceberg of, of what we're doing now to what we can be doing with, with some of our partners. You're in Arizona now. Like do you, when you look around your communities there that you circulate in, do you, do you see the potential too in, in the U S just with the, with the population and the potential there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Arizona and California, um, 
in a lot of these these western states the the agriculture out here uh fruit and vegetable crops are, are just so lush um you get that sun year round so you're not dealing with the crop cycles like you are in in canada especially atlantic canada um so there's there's a massive opportunity down here and um we've already been looking into it for a long time because of because of that uh, both you know the growing demand in the market but also uh then you know the need for the farmers and the retailers to have partners like you right because it makes a lot of sense for them if they're looking to make their businesses more sustainable um both from a business point of view but also for their customers um do you have to kind of manage your growth like do you do you have that temptation where you just like to blow this out faster yeah i mean trust me it'd be great i think uh it would have been cool to raise a hundred million dollars and, and build, you know, five facilities or whatever the number would have been right away. But, um, you know, you want to walk before you run a little and you want to make sure you don't make any mistakes. So that's why we were really strategic about who we partnered with and what our next steps are. And so Darren is, uh, is he in Nova Scotia now? He is. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I, I should have asked. Uh, so how, when's the last time you were able to see him? Cause you've been, you've been in Arizona for how long now with the pandemic? Yep. Yeah, I haven't seen Darren since uh, it's been about a year. I haven't seen him since last year in March. It's funny, eh, with Zoom and Teams that you can actually feel like you're seeing them all the time, but you actually haven't been like with them for a year. I know that's the case with our our work here. We uh, there's a couple people we didn't see in over a year, but it honest, it's funny. It didn't feel like that. Yeah, you know, it's it'll be interesting when we finally get reunited in person because. You know, with our business, we we traveled so much um, for meetings and finding new partners and so on that, uh, you know, we basically, we live together on the road, essentially. Him and I were roommates whenever we travel. So um, I think we're both looking forward to, to things getting closer to normal again, where we can travel again together and uh, keep pushing the business forward and also have a good time together, you know, going out for dinners on the road and uh brings me back to my hockey playing years when we get to do that stuff yeah you uh, i mean i'm sure you probably yeah. love being rooted after uh, a hockey career in which you moved around a lot and then traveled actually you know playing throughout the season what's it like now to be kind of you know essentially locked down for for a year in one place to be honest with you uh i'm pretty nomadic so we we've been all over the place even even since covid just because um a lot of different things. We, my, my parents are in Calgary. My wife, Paulina, her parents are in Toronto. Uh, everyone wants to see the grandkids, so we've been to both places. And then uh, we escaped the winter, and uh, we've been out in Arizona for a while. So uh, we, we haven't really been locked down in one place. We've been, we've been limiting who we see and when we see people. But uh, we're, we're uh, excited, like everyone else, for things to kind of get back to normal a little. In terms of your own business, uh, have there been limitations around growth and not being able to travel, or have you been able to make the adjustment to doing things virtually? Um, yeah, I think we've done like done our best, like everyone else has, with with Zoom and Microsoft Teams and all these different video conferences. But uh, for me personally, I think it's never the same as as when you are in person, especially with potential new partners. Um, there's something tangible about being in the same space and being able to kind of really just be able to talk face to face. And I think that'll never go away. When do you see things getting back a little more back to normal for you that way? 
Oh, I don't know. I'm not the guy to ask with that stuff. But my fingers are crossed that, you know, once everyone gets vaccinated and, uh, you know, people get to travel again and we get to get back on the road and meet some of these incredible partners that we've made even over the last year. How what's life like in Arizona uh, that way? Uh, how, how are people circulating in the communities? Is it pretty open right now or are people sticking to their homes or? You know, I think we have such a small bubble here with with my family that I don't really I don't really know what other people are doing. But as, as far as restaurants and everything like that, it's it's quite a bit more open than it is than it is in Canada. Well, I really appreciate this, TJ. Is, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think we should uh, touch on? I don't think so. I think we always like to, to tell people if they want to learn more about the company or our products, just to go to elcastfoods.com or follow us on social, which is uh, Elcast Mission. And, uh, you know, we always like talking to, to people. So if you want to reach out to us um, through email or on our website, um, happy to chat and love hearing about people that have tried our products or people that have ideas about you know, who we should partner with next. Um, yeah, we're, we're always wide open for that stuff. Who came up with the name? Where'd that come from? Uh, it's a lot of us sitting around trying to think of, of something, first of all, that wasn't taken and something that uh, kind of really explained what we're doing. And, and that's kind of what, our, what we're all about is, is uh, doing things differently. Do you still play hockey? Never. No, there's you're not like in an adult rec league in Arizona. <laughs> no, I don't. I honestly don't even know where my skates are. They might be. They might be at our house in Calgary. I, I have no idea where my equipment is, and I don't really care to know. Yeah, where where are you in Arizona, by the way? Ah, uh, Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. Do you do you have you been do you get out to to hockey or or other events in Phoenix? No, never. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so so busy with the business and. And with two young kids that oh gosh, uh, yeah. any spare moment I get, I, I try to either get a workout in or uh, get some sleep. Yeah. Well, I, I if your house is anything like my house, I, I know they're going to be knocking on your door uh, any minute to see what you're doing. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, but I really appreciate your time. Uh, likewise. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. Thanks, TJ, for the great chat. Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, and Sharice Letson. You can subscribe to the show on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend us to a friend. Talk to you next week.